Welcome to Chats with Susan Burrell, and that's me. I help strong, capable women who have pockets of self-doubt access their inner wisdom and clarify their own truth. Chats with Susan Burrell is where we have rich conversations about empowerment, radiating your brilliance out into the world, and loving yourself more than you ever have before. And who doesn't want that? So let's get started. So today I am so honored and excited to have another conversation with one of my teachers from, oh gosh, way back when, um, who has just this uh, plethora of knowledge. And I'm always so fascinated when he comes out with another book because while there's still um, the stuff that he's true to, there's always new information. So I'm always learning from this man and I wanna welcome to the show, Dr. Amit Goswami. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're so welcome. I, I can't, I've got the, I've got the, I'm, I'm tickled to have you. So we've had a few conversations about some of your many books. One was uh, The Quantum Doctor, but also Quantum e Economics, which just aired on Sue Chats recently. And this book is new-ish. It's ish, new. And, but the title caught me because um, so many times in life, we're always looking for the answer book, the one that you know we thought we should have been born with, the How to Live Life Manual. And this one, this title was like, I, I have to read this book. And it's called The Everything Answer Book, How Quantum Science Explains Love, Death, and the Meaning of Life. So would you share a little bit with everybody about why you wanted to write this particular book? Well, um, it, it really is uh, simpler than wanting to write a particular book. I was invited to have a dialogue with a Japanese uh, spiritual businessman, um, along with giving a workshop in Tokyo. So what happened was that this conversation went so well because this Japanese uh, philosopher gentleman um, uh, who happens to be a businessman uh, forced me to uh, say things uh, so that he could understand it. And oh. I was a guest. I felt compelled to try my best. And in the process, I loosened up and I really, reading the transcript, I could not believe that I have actually been able to say things without much technicality, uh, without much use of my usual scientific vocabulary. And so um, when I shared this with my publisher, Greg Brandenburg at the um, Hampton Roast, he said, um, if you rewrite this, not in the conversational dialogue style, because that will never sell in the United States, but I make a narrative of it. I said, sure, happy to. And that's how the book came about. Well, so like I mentioned before, I've read several of your books. And so the quant and quantum, everything that you talk about is based on quantum physics and then expanding beyond, which we're going to dig into in a few minutes. But um, I remember the first book I read that you wrote, it was dense with the technicalities. And yes, yes. and. And also it was dense for me because it was changing, it was kind of rewiring my mind of how I perceive life and how I perceive the universe and how I perceive 
consciousness. And so reading this book, the Everything Answer book, it was like, oh yeah, I know that. Oh yeah, I understand waves and part of, oh right. I, uh, somehow over the course of um, 10 years, it kind of downloaded. And for people that don't know anything about quantum physics and how it uh, does really truly affect our life on a moment by moment basis, it's a really good primer for, uh, what did you call it before we started? The, the book for, not the book for dummies, but a simplistic view of quantum physics. I don't know. I don't think I don't think there is any dummy in the world, but people do uh, think that they cannot understand physics. Yes. I um, think that you know. Finally, I was able to say things in uh, such a simple way, and I must say that things are really quite simple. It's not that uh, quantum physics is hard to understand. It's just that. People have presented it with such a worked worldview, everything is matter. That worldview complicates everything because that worldview produces a lot of paradoxes and puzzles. And so the um, reader starts with the feeling that you will never understand it since all these pundits, great physicists from Harvard, Caltech, they cannot understand it. So how can I understand it? That prejudice versus the situation. But actually it's very easy to understand because we are talking about our consciousness. Quantum physics directly talks about our consciousness. You spend two minutes with quantum physics, immediately you see that the one domain of space and time is not enough for reality. There is a domain where we communicate with signals and there is the domain of potentiality where quantum objects become waves. They are waves to begin with and that domain we are, if we want to, can communicate without any signal. Otherwise, right. um, in other words, um, I can become one with you in that domain. And if I do become one with you, then that will reverberate in our experiences when we manifest that in space and time. So this idea that we are potentially one, that is really consciousness, that oneness is what consciousness is. We all begin with oneness. As we convert quantum potentiality into actuality, we become separate from that oneness. I appear to be a subject to the object that you appear as. But to you, I'm appearing as the object, you are the subject. We should remember that. And if we remember it, then that's the beginning of a, uh, uh, a correlated entangled relationship. And if I take it further, if you want to take it further, we uh, interact, meditate, whatever we do correlates us for future relationship. And so quantum physics is a wonderful science which gives all the answers about human beings, human relationships, human experiences. The problem arises that the scientific materialist, the average scientist tries to understand quantum physics with all the knowledge he has about machines and mechanical objects, inanimate objects. And that doesn't work for quantum physics. Quantum physics is made for, made for humans. Yeah, so, if, so what I'm hearing you say, um, Dr. Kaswami, is that <clears throat> you kind of have to throw out the previous or at least put it off to the side so that you can open up your mind to understand something that is so much larger than the human experience because we're all experiencing something slightly different as the observer or the subject or both as we're interacting. And so that to, 
to take what was previous uh, in terms of science or belief systems and then apply it to our life is what is keeping everybody stuck and separate and in conflict. Or am I just making that up? I, I, think, I think you were right on. The point is that before we had science and science really applied to all the inanimate objects of the world, not to us. We tried to apply it to us and it wouldn't. And then we forced it to apply to us. Then we made ourselves into mechanical beings so that oh. the Newtonian physics can apply to us, you know. And, and now we are reversing the process. And this also takes a little time. We have become too used in our culture to think that consciousness is brain phenomenon or consciousness really is a dubious proposition. Maybe we are an object too. This is why the me-centeredness, this is why we process information, we have objectified things that are subjective, like meaning is subjective, purpose is subjective, death is subjective, love is subjective. These things we don't talk about. We talk about information, information, information. We are constantly checking our iPhone, checking social media, what is going on. Much of it is just concocted, but we don't care. We want to know what is going on, just the information, objects, 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 us included. And this has become the huge problem of worldview change. How to change from this? So everything answer book really does uh, answer to this one question. If um, uh, people ask it, I think millennials are asking it now, that if um, uh, there is meaning for me, is there any meaning of life? This is why this book is addressed to the question of meaning of life. So meaning of life? You can find only when we look at profound questions like love and death and God and purpose. Otherwise, there is no meaning of life. And you talk about in the book, you talk about, I'm going to read something from the book, um, Under the Meaning and Purpose of Life, hello. Um, and you say, when we explore meaning and the archetypal values that Plato talked about, which is love and beauty, justice, truth, goodness, abundance, these are things we forget about now. Like you're saying, the millennials don't necessarily have that in the forefront of their mind when they're constantly on their iPhone. But anyway, you, you go on to say, we feel happy and satisfied when we're looking at those values. When we embody these values and archetypes, we make our souls richer in content. This is the goal of our evolution. And I love that because, uh, because A, I believe, I happen to believe that it's true. It's certainly how I've lived my life is who am I now and what do I value? And, and I want to be happy. So what are the values I need to cultivate in my life? Like truth or um, looking for justice right now, I got to say, but love or, you know, those things, abundance, how do I cultivate that? And, and quantum physics kinds gives us uh, an opportunity when we can understand it that we always have, we're always at choice. Yes. And we can choose out of infinite possibilities what it is we want individually that actually might help the collective of humankind. Yes. Yes. The, the, the thing to realize is that when we live in a mission like way, we are always choosing the same possibilities over and over. Just slight differences in yeah. the context of it. And, yeah. the, and the idea is to go for creativity. Although creativity sounds very mysterious, you know, scientific materialists have made it very complex even. 
but all that is just crap. It is neither mysterious nor complex. Creativity yes. is a new field and consciousness is forever a new field. Archetypes are forever a new field. You can never exhaust an archetype because it has unlimited number of uh, representations. Or an archetype has possibilities built into it. You can talk about love an infinite time and live love an infinite time. Still, there would be infinite amount of new representations of love that will be available for human beings. So this being the case, why do we shortchange ourselves? This is my question. And this is the question that has driven me ever since I had that 1973 thought, why do I live this way? I don't have to live machine life. I don't have to live in the same questions and over and over again, like Woody Allen once said once, that ice cuppets are fine for once, but why do we want to do every, every year? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So, and I think a lot of people don't realize that. They, that a lot of people have bought into um, the kind of cultural idea of, um, well, this is just the way it is. So, you know, like you can look at that with politics or economics, the way it ebbs and flows and people go, well, that's just the way it is. And, and I don't know that people actually comprehend that they have, they have a say in essence, they have a choice in how their external circumstances can present. And then also how they can choose to uh, react to them by, by entering into that observer mind that you mentioned earlier. Yes. It is just, um, you know, being the, having the ability of forever new and present in our current moment of consciousness. Now, of course, the, there are some qualifications here. If you try okay. to be present, uh, initially it doesn't, it doesn't work out because you are too used to being in the future and being in the past. But be patient. And this is what the creative process is about. Do the practice of what I call do, be, do, be, do. I remember, I remember. Relaxation, alternatively. And this process works miracles. I mean, you really do um, uh, find that you have the ability of being in the present. And when you do, the self that you experience is called quantum self. And the experiences will be inside of the archetypes or about intuition of the archetypes. Certainly profound feelings, certainly deep meanings original meanings will come to us in those moments. And this is where the meaning of life comes from. This is how the meaning of life becomes manifest in somebody's life. Otherwise, we live the same old, same old, and then we get bored, and then internet cannot provide us with enough news. And we wonder, is that all there is to life? Yeah, I remember there was a really good song with that title, Is That All There Is, <laughs> right? <laughs> So can we talk a little bit about, um, uh, well, I want to talk about, I want to expand more on consciousness and how we are all connected in this larger uh, oneness, if you will. But I also want to talk about quantum leaping because a lot of people, you know, years ago, that was a phrase that came out, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I'm going to quantum leap. There was even a television show called Quantum Leap. But yes. where you could quantum leap into your future of, of what it is you thought you wanted or something like that. So can we talk about both of those things? Because I think they're connected. 
the, the only thing that was right in the title for the quantum uh, TV show, quantum leap TV show, is that quantum leaps are necessary from jumping out of one domain of reality into another. Ah. But of course, the, the uh, future or past as domains of reality don't exist. They are all potentialities. The mm -hmm. past potentiality we can never manifest in the sense that we cannot actually live it, we can only remember it. And the future potentiality, we at this moment are not really living it, but we are creating it to the extent that we are making some biases about it by trying to force it to shape in a certain form. In fact, this is what we should not do, uh, except for creative ideas. There, we should do it all the time. So, oh, oh, so um, wait a minute. You uh, so now I'm now my brain's going. Okay. So how? Because this, this is what I'm I I'm investigating for myself, and I think a lot of people are. Because there's that whole thing of I'm setting an intention or a goal, and I'm going to achieve that. But what you just said is. You, you don't want to do that, and yet you want to do that for creative ideas. This, is, this yes. feels like a, a paradox. You don't want to relieve your past. No, I don't want to. Ew. You don't want to reinforce some of the past by thinking of them again and again. However, okay. nice the past was. Past was past. And the, in the future, you can create and therefore make it better. Remember that past things past actions or, or actions that follows from past actions, condition actions, are really non-actions. Bhagavad Gita makes a beautiful sloka out of this, that really action that follows from past actions are non-actions. They don't oh. count. Non-action just means they don't count. They're not meaningful. They're not going to bring new meaning in our life. They're not going to reveal the purposiveness of our life. They're not going to make us satisfied with our life. So what brings us satisfaction? What brings us new meaning? What reveals purpose? It is the creative action, action that takes place from the unconscious, action that comes from non-action, no action at all. Unconscious is only potentiality. So action that comes from pure, uncollapsed, unmanifest previous potentialities that people have never experienced before. If I can bring my actions from that realm of the unconscious, then I am really into action. That creative action is the meaningful action, is the purposeful action, is what brings us satisfaction. So if, and so that's where you quantum leap into, yeah? I mean, you leap right. into that potentiality. That is the quantum leap. Quantum Which is not necessarily leaping into the future, but it's leaping into a potentiality we have not yet conceived of. We have never seen it, and therefore we are creating the future by making that quantum leap. Quantum leap is really, this is why some people even um, project that quantum leaps come from the future, because today's insight becomes tomorrow's future in the society. Right, right. Well, that explains a lot of the major uh, artists that developed art that nobody had ever seen, or the scientists, or, or um, the philosophers who just would have an idea seemingly drop in, and yet that was like the quantum leaping and then coalescing or collecting that potentiality so that it could finally be expressed. 
by means of that individual. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm understanding this. <laughs> so, um, so then Dr. Goswami, explain a little bit more about uh, how, about the life, death, love. I mean, we're talking about that now, but I think some people need to know a little bit more about how quantum phys physics helps them deal with death, helps them deal with love. We talked about the values, but... Love is very big in quantum physics. I don't know how people innately know that, but did you know that the, you know, this movement, quantum activism, which I have created for popularizing quantum physics uh, to change ourselves and change the world, 70% of them are women. And the explanation is that women relate to love and uh, the heart better. Which is and where we're all moving to, is coming from heart space as opposed to head space. Absolutely. And imagine my surprise, my own surprise when in uh, starting about 1913, 14, 15, I started getting the hint that um, maybe the heart uh, the way women talk about it, the way mystics talk about it, which, uh, about which scientists actually, actually shies out a little because I was very convinced that there is only a self in the brain. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. how can there be a self in the heart? I mean, I occasionally would, would ponder it, but always shy away from it because of the immensity of the task of proving that there is the same mechanism that we have in the brain. Brain is much more complex but the heart should be fairly simple. I mean, of course, heart is very simple, but I was already uh, recognizing that the immune system is also part of the heart chakra, although it uh, goes a little bit lower, only the thymus gland is in the heart. The rest of it is a little bit lower in the geography, but the geography mm -hmm. is not the significant thing. If you call the immune system belonging to the heart chakra, then that is the second most complex system in the body. And uh, eventually I realized that the uh, neuroscientists already have found that a, there is a little brain in the heart. So what happens is that the heart does have the mechanism of both cognition and memory apparatus. And that is what you need for um, consciousness to identify with that organ. If an organ function requires both memory and cognition, then consciousness comes into it, manifest as a self. So all this age-old talk about we are aware that we have a self in the heart that women do and mystics do is completely right on. To my chagrin, I admit it, and I'm <laughs> happy to give workshops all over the world about this. I proclaim that love is real, heart is real, and this is wonderful news for everybody. Well, and I think that the love that you're t speaking about isn't necessarily um, a love it, for another person. It's a larger love that is in relationship to that consciousness that's beyond description. Right. But it does not exclude the very personal romantic love either. I mean, romantic love is a conditioned aspect of this same unconditioned mm -hmm. love. But, you know, I have actually devised a way from jumping from starting from sexuality, the ordinary person's love. You know, the, have you seen that cartoon? There's a beautiful cartoon. A woman says, um, oh, mystics talk about love, but I don't understand. Oh, poets talk about love, but I don't understand. 
what I read Kama Sutra and understand everything about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is true. I mean, ordinary person's um, understanding of love depends a lot on the physical expressions of it. Mm-hmm. So we should not ignore it. But uh, sex really is it only for pleasure. Um, you know, uh, Republicans still think that sex is for procreation only, right? Right. And then we have um, progressive people who uh, think that sex is for pleasure. But maybe not. Maybe we are ready for the third step for uh, sex, which is that it is doorway to love. And how it happens is so interesting, you know, in the new science. I'll tell you very briefly. I'm sure reader will be fascinated by this because this is an imagination that came from India. In India, it is projected that the sexual energies are coiled up energy. It cannot collapse. Okay, it cannot collapse because there are potentialities for which there is no self in the organ of the sexuality in, in the lower chakra. So you now what we do is when we have uh, puberty and all these hormones are running us, so our intention becomes very strong that I want pleasure. And therefore we start um, uh, collapsing those energies in our navel chakra where also there is a self. And this is how young men especially, they are the ones who really uh, likes to enjoy sex for their personal pleasure, narcissistic pleasure. And they really are the leader in terms of um, sexuality in that way, sexuality without love. But girls, uh, culturally a little bit, but more or less because of their making, because they will have to be future mothers, they are oriented more towards their heart chakra, to their um, other love. And therefore, when they get an opportunity, they bring the sexual energy all the way to heart chakra and then only experience it. And if you experience it in the heart chakra, the love will be other oriented. If you explain it, if you experience it in the navel chakra, it will be oriented towards your own self for your mm-hmm. own uh, pleasure and uh, uh, aggrandizement. That's it's, fascinating to me. Yeah, that's a great explanation. Actually, it makes a lot. It, it makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. So can we can we uh, circle back? to um, the quantum activism, because I want you to explain that a little bit more, because I think that that is so important. And, and, and you too talk about it in the Everything Answer book, but um, if you would just extrapolate for us, Dr. Goswami. Yeah, the, the whole idea is that uh, quantum physics, although it resonates with the average person, because we want things like love in our lives, we want infinite potentialities to choose from. We believe that we have free will because otherwise life would be meaningless if it is same old, same old. Um, but of course, uh, it does sound very difficult for the average scientist. And the reason is that average scientists would have become used to the idea that science is for prediction and control. But quantum physics is saying no control. Control is only when you condition things to the sameness, same behavior. But otherwise, there is no control. There is no control how you think, how you feel. These things can totally be creative because they are always quantum. You cannot make make the conditioning for 
all thinking. You can make conditioning out of those thinking that you have lived before that has memory in the brain, but you can always think other things that is not in the brain. Especially you can think creative things if you put a little bit of effort towards creativity, then you constantly live in the new domain. This is revolting to those scientists. And those scientists are the intelligentsia of this country who not only decides how people will think in this country, but how will think people will think all over the world. Yeah. You know, they are very special with. Yeah. Right? So yeah. the peculiar way it has become perverted, I call it the, um, the, uh, the intellectual imperialism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, but be it as it may, so this has caused a, um, a problem with the uh, spreading of the quantum worldview. Quantum worldview is there, it explains everything, but the scientists don't approve of it. A majority of our newspapers and media are completely sold on the intellectual uh, imperialists and the scientists. And therefore the worldview seems to be changing, but very sluggishly. So quantum activism is designed to make the world will change faster. If we can take it directly to the people, not through the scientists, because mm -hmm. that does not happen in any <laughs> known amount of time. Of course, it can always happen by happenstance, movement of consciousness. But um, I think that a uh, activistic movement is necessary to create the groundswell I mean, more and more you see the world depolarization is really creating very standstill unless you're an activist. For getting everything done, activism seems to be necessary. However, the quantum activism does have a entrance requirement, which is that we suggest that you do not try to sell the worldview without applying the worldview to yourself. Oh, I love that because you have to know, have, not know, but have the experience of living that kind of a life. And then you can be the example that people can see and follow. Exactly, because it's the radical change. We should never expect somebody else to make radical changes if I only talk about it and not make the changes. Yeah. Because the tendency for all people, because the word sounds wonderful and um, love sounds wonderful, but you know, just as for a woman to give up love and um, think only is difficult. Similarly for men to give up thinking and love is difficult. So we are asking people to do difficult things. Difficult, not really difficult, but difficult because we don't want to leave the cocoon of comfort of our usual regular way of living. It's radical. I mean, the quantum worldview is radical. It is. It is forcing us to make those changes that we are, for millennia we have been only talking about but never doing it. And the new science is saying, look, now there is no excuse. This is the way movement of consciousness wants us to go. Whether we do it in 10 years or whether to do it in 1,000 years, consciousness does not care. For it, there is no value in human time. 1,000 years is just a blink of an eye for consciousness. Right. We have to understand that. For us, it may, makes, a, makes a huge difference. Look, today we live in chaos in America and we need to change, right? That's obvious. And we need to change in a substantial way. It's not just others to change. We are the others. <laughs> so right. And, every, from 
And everybody looks outside of themselves to say, well, that person, that elected official is going to change my life. I don't understand how that's possible. I'm not seeing it. I haven't seen it. But a lot of people think, well, they got elected. They're supposed to do the work for me instead of the individual doing their own inner work and then seeing what will happen, seeing what the outcome is. So do you find that the current chaos that we have been experiencing for the last, oh God, I don't know, 100 years, 10,000 years, but anyway, that that chaos is helping to loosen up the, um, the old worldview or, or do you think it's tightening it down more? No, I think, I think it is helping to loosen up the fraction that we need mm-hmm. to be loosened up. So, uh, Susan, there is a point here that um, I, should, I should confess that I know. I know that a segment of the population and the major segment, something like 85%, they are not really ready for radical change. But the good news is that the number of people that are ready for radical change in the whole world has now increased to a whooping 15%. That's huge. That's huge. That makes me sad. Okay. Okay. No, so there's 15% huge. of us that are going to change the world. No, no, but, but really, certain, even, even uh, two decades ago, three decades ago, with all that enthusiasm that we had for New Age, I, I don't know, uh, you were only a child then, but in the, I'm talking about 70s and 80s. And see, the number of total number of New Ages were only 25,000 in America. Wow. And today, by the same token, if you count, they go into 15%. And if you, when you say 15% of 300 million, that's four and a half million people. That's a lot. So this is what I mean. I mean, there is a lot of us who are not only ready to change, and some of them are millennials. Otherwise, where do you think all these Bernie Sanders followers come from? Right, exactly. And some of the other people that are, are, even some of the kids that are going off the grid because they don't believe in what's happening, they're still changing the world by, by exploring their own connection to source or consciousness. It's yeah. fascinating to me. Exactly. And, and that the only problem is that there are channels in which this desire to change expresses itself. And that channel usually is a four-yearly cycle. That has to change because the, you, know, you don't make the changes every four years. The changes are not like that. You have to make ongoing changes, ongoing radical changes in how you think, how you live, how you are in your living, how you deal with your neighbor, how you love, how you make your intimate relationship. And this is why Everything Answer book is so timely because it tells you how to love. It tells you how to think about that, which is really not a termination, but only a renewal. And, and that you, your meaning of life comes back. And once that comes back, there's no stopping it. We'll forever go on and flower with new potentialities constantly coming into your life. You have a happy, satisfied life, which is forever new. Which is what I, what I pray for everybody on the planet. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we have a duty of bringing it, making it available, even for those 85% who for various reasons, one reason or the other, various reasons are just simply completely absorbed in their survival. 
It's yeah. not their fault. Abraham Maslow uh, pointed this out in the 1960s, that unless your survival needs are satisfied, you cannot attend to higher needs. And this is the crunch. Uh, only 15% of our country and other countries can say with confidence that, yeah, okay, I don't have to worry about my survival. I'm free of that anxiety. And then they can cultivate these radical changes that bring in the higher needs, higher needs like love, higher needs like justice, higher needs like goodness, higher needs like wholeness. These things are beyond the purview of that 85%. So we have a duty towards them. We have to make things, make society change in such a way, makes our genetic structure change in such a way, mm. makes mm-hmm. our, our programs that run the genetic structure you know, these epigenetic programs that Rupert Sheldon talks about, morphogenetic fields. We have a duty to change those things so that more and more people can access the higher needs. They don't feel so worried about their survival. Their survival. So uh, so I want to ask you one, one last question, Dr. Goswami, because as you were just saying that, um, so if we're all connected, if we're all one in consciousness, then those of us, that 15% that really is in that place of daily uh, renewal and opening up to the possibilities and doing quantum leaping and stuff like that, if we do that kind of work, then does that quantum leap or that wave of possibility um, then ripple out to the other people that are still stuck in survival mode? They could because we have done it in the past. You know, that's how, how our collective unconscious came about that Jung discovered uh, back in the 19-teens. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have done it before. We can do it again. Uh, the mechanism uh, is, a, is a bit complex. We probably don't have time to get through it, but it requires uh, group consciousness. Yes. So what we have who get to the, this is why quantum activism is a movement for people trying to collectively change their ways. These collective changes, when we change collectively, we become what in the tradition is called group soul, group consciousness. I see. I see. Not locally connected. Like you were talking about before, that how do we become non-locally connected? Talk about interconnectedness more. When we activate that, we don't become non-locally connected unless we activate this potentiality of non-locality constantly, we interact. We can interact today so easily. We are interacting, I'm looking at your face, um, I can look at your feelings by looking at your face and becoming correlated as we talk. This is so easy, but we still have to do it. And what we are trying to do is to have collective meditations together, group of quantum activists are already doing that, and we are getting together in classrooms. We have the University of Transformational Education now. And with these things, we are starting easy and slow, but other people will catch up. And as they catch on, they will start more of this, more group consciousness. And then the group consciousness, whatever we work on, gets um, memorized in the collective unconscious. So where can people go to find out more about the quantum activism and stuff like that? Do you have a website? Yes, my website is amitgoswami.org, A-M-I-T-G-O-S-W-A-M-I.org, with www and all that. 
all that other stuff for <laughs> filling it in. So Dr. Goswami, thank you for the conversation today. I, I always learn so much when we, when we talk. And everybody, the book is called The Everything Answer Book, How Quantum Science Explains Love, Death, and the Meaning of Life. Thank you again for your commitment to always doing the work. I am deeply, deeply grateful for all that you've brought forward and all that you continue to do. So I'm just going to end with, and so it is, namaste. <laughs> so it is. Thank you. Well, that wraps up our chat for today. Thanks for joining me. And if you want to learn more, go to susanburrell.com. You can contact me through the website. There's blogs for you to read. There are videos to watch. And remember, I am an intuitive healer and spiritual guide at the crossroads of life. And I would be more than honored to help you on your journey to live an empowered life. And so it is. Namaste. Namaste.